Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, it's like skid marks in your skivvies. Not even bleach and hot water can clean it up. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. Hey, it's Tuesday night and the countdown is getting real for the Chicago Pipe Show. Um, All right, but in tonight's show in Pipe Parts, going to hit on some more uh, famous pipe smokers for you, or pipe smokers that people that were famous and also smoked a pipe. My guest tonight is uh, pipe maker Adam Sheehan. We've got a lot to get to know about Adam. Uh, music, because I think this is interesting and I'll explain more when we get to it. <laughs> um, mailbag and rant, plus an update on the JDRF fundraisers. All that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, so, as I said, this... Uh, we're we're getting ready to move. Uh, we'll be moving in you know, six eight weeks. But anyway, uh, Saturday morning we had a bit of a yard sale here, and it was essentially uh, for those of you not in the United States, a yard sale might be called a boot sale or a tag sale or a garage sale. Uh, our entire neighborhood, all two hundred and ninety houses or so. Uh, we put out signs out on the entrance to the community and uh, kind of promoted around the county. So you get maybe 40, 50 houses that participate. Well, essentially what we did was we took stuff that we were going to have a hard time throwing away or weren't sure if it was worth anything to be donated, took it out, put it on the curb, and actually got people to pay us money for that stuff. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, beautiful to have people pay you to haul away stuff that you're going to have a hard time throwing away. Uh, anyway, we made like a total whopping like $38 and, uh, quickly spent that that night on dinner, but it was, it was nice. Um, anyway, and, uh, the other thing we're doing is our, uh, as we're starting to look at stuff that we have here around the house. You know what, if you haven't, if it's not something that you collect or a keepsake and you haven't really used it in a year, you probably don't need it. So we're starting to thin stuff out. Anyway, that's what's going on here. Uh, just a reminder that you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to enjoy this show. So let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in and here we go. All right, so for pipe parts. So I got an email, uh, what, about two weeks ago now from Neil. And Neil says, Brian, while watching Netflix again, I discovered more pipe smokers. The series I'm watching is called Five Came Back. It's a documentary about directors who filmed World War II. An interesting series. There were a lot of pipe smokers in this age. Several of the featured directors are seen with pipes, most notably John Ford and uh, Frank and Frank Capra. Uh, one other mention is Roy Weatherby, a rifle manufacturer founder, and uh, he saw a picture of him, uh, found a picture of him in a gun magazine. Um, 
so anyway, I thought, well, you know what? We we've pretty much had uh, we've talked about Frank Capra and yeah, one of the greatest directors of all time. Well, let's look at John Ford. Uh, John Ford is not his real name. His real name is John Martin Jack Feeney, and uh, he was born in uh, in in County Galway in Ireland. And his older brother was really the one that got the uh, got the entertainment bug and went into vaudeville. And kind of uh, once he was in uh, vaudeville, he uh, kind of uh, it, well, Francis, his brother. Uh, worked in movies after that and uh, worked with Thomas Edison and several of the greats. Well, the young John Ford soon comes to Hollywood and discovers uh, acting and then decides that he likes the idea of directing. Uh, He was in such high regard that that Orson Welles watched... um, a lot of his watched a lot of his movies prior to uh, directing uh, some of his. So, I mean, uh, a man of super high regard, and he is the only director to have won four Oscars for best director. Uh, he's kind of quintessential westerns that are uh, that are just still timeless. And if you sit back and you you get a chance to watch them. I mean, some of his movies still completely hold up. Um, worked a lot with uh, with John Wayne towards the end of his career, but he also dabbled around in several other styles of movies, including working with uh, <laughs> working with uh, with Shirley Temple. Uh, they work. I mean, he just had a an incredible cast of people that he'd worked with. Uh, several of them pipe smokers. So do yourself a favor if you're looking for some older classic movies, uh, go back and start looking at some of John Ford's movies, and you'll find some. I'm sure there's some in there that will uh, completely interest you. And uh, John Ford lived to be age 79. And uh, died in Palm Desert, California. So he had a good long life. And, uh, you know, just uh, uh, had a pipe by by his side. Uh, The other guy, Roy Weatherby. And for those of you that are into shooting, uh, Roy Weatherby was the founder and owner of Weatherby Rifles. And they made rifle shotguns and they made ammunition. Uh, He grew up in Kansas but moved to uh, California where... uh, they, uh, where he and his wife started the uh, Weatherby firearms business, and they were uh, they were really best known for their very high powered rifle cartridges, all that they'd call Weatherby Magnums. It was a two fifty seven and a four sixty, and these are fairly large shells. Uh, Weatherby got into the world of uh, commercial cartridge and rifle making with a background of experimentation in cartridge wildcatting and uh he was what he was really more interested in was how do you produce a very high speed highly efficient uh flat flight projectile that was extremely good for hunting um following uh, Roy Weatherby's death the Weatherby Foundation 
uh, was established as a non-profit tax-exempt foundation to educate the non-hunting public about the beneficial role of ethical sporting and hunting. Uh, talk about another group that's a little controversial. You know, hunters versus uh, hunters and smokers don't always get a uh, fair shake. Um, anyway, uh, Roy Weatherby uh, died in 1988 in California at the age of 77 and was frequently photographed with either a pipe in his mouth or a pipe in his hand. So there's a couple people for you to look up. All right, let's get Adam on the phone, and he'll be with us in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, joining us is a, uh, a forum member and a pipe smoker and a pipe maker who, uh, you may recognize the name, the name of the pipes is Carmet Pipes, and I'll ask about that in a little bit, but welcome Adam Sheehan to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, alright, so just so that everybody knows, what's your what's your name on the Pipes Magazine forums? Uh, my my forum handle is click click, and you've been uh, you've been a fairly active member for a good long time. Uh yeah, um, kind of. I used to be uh, really active on the old uh, smokers forums, and then when that crashed for like the second or third time, I wandered my way over to Pipes Magazine, and I kind of never looked back. <laughs> All right, so let's get to know you. Um, where where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? And uh, and when did you start smoking a pipe? Uh, well, I'm 32 years old. I grew up, born, raised in uh, Winona, Minnesota. It's a little city in southeastern Minnesota, about 27,000 people. Um, been here all my life. All my family's here. And uh, I wanted to be retired when I grew up. Um <laughs> I'm still work, still working on that. Um, started smoking a pipe. Uh, really, really started when I was 18. So was that 14 years ago? Um, the first time I tried a pipe, I was 16 years old. Unbeknownst to my mother and father, I bought this little uh, little meerschaum alien head pipe, like a mini meerschaum off of eBay. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> like 10 bucks or something you know and i had one of my older buddies uh give me some tobacco just whatever was uh, at the local uh, gas station and i think he picked out prince albert for me so 
one night, you know, I took it outside and I tried it and it was horrible and uh, took me another two years to actually pick it up again. I, I kind of got onto a website uh, put out by Jim Murray at the time where he just got a, had a bunch of reviews and stuff. So I ordered my first two pipes from him. Um, they were both Bulldogs. One was a black blasted uh, Digby quarter bent. Digby, I think, is a GBD second. And the other one was a, a smooth um, half bent um, Amphora Extra uh, Bulldog, and uh, I think the first sampler pack. I, I I was at the point where after that I just wanted to, I had my two pipes. I just wanted to try as much as I could to see you know if I could get any other flavor profile out of it than uh, what I remember from two years back with the the Prince Albert. Um, so I think I, I ordered a, a aromatic sampler from Cornell and Deal. I got to talk to Patty Tarler on the phone, which was pretty <laughs> nerve wracking. But she was she's such a nice lady that you know she didn't she asked me some questions, and next thing I knew, I had some tobacco show up at my doorstep, and um, they were aromatic, so it, I had some flavor to it. So you know, after that, I kind of just branched out, and the rest is kind of history. Did you did you have any idea of smoking any other tobacco products, or did you just start with a pipe? Um, I just started with a pipe. Um, uh, occasional cigar after I got into the pipe, but um, before then, um, no, nobody in my family smoked anything. Uh, no cigarettes, no cigars, no pipes. Um, so what drew me to pipe smoking, I don't know. I guess I'm just an old soul or something. Yeah, or the fact that uh, Winona is actually in a really pretty part of the country, and you're right at the—that's I mean, almost the headwaters of the Mississippi River. And yes, the uh, the scenery here is is beautiful, and sometimes being a local, you you can take it for granted. But um, I guess if you stay grounded and you actually open your eyes and you look up and around, um, you can really see that beauty i mean you see bald eagles you know you drive from uh, 15 minutes out of town and you'll see bald eagles flying and uh, the bluffs are amazing especially in the fall time when all the leaf colors are changing yeah i've spent uh, maybe two nights kind of up in that area and it's just absolutely amazing however it gets a little too cold for me during um fall winter and uh, what are you in now spring which kind of looks like winter We're to me we're in spring, but we consider it uh, shortened T-shirts weather, and it's about it's between fifty and sixty degrees. Yeah, yeah, no, uh-uh, jacket and sweatshirts for me. Um, so, <laughs> so, have you have you been smoking a pipe consistently since you first picked one up? Yeah, um, when I started, I was um, in college. I was gonna, I was studying to be a nurse, um, so. Uh, probably two, three times a week, I would smoke, and uh, you know, I branched out. I, I amassed this huge plastic bag collection of uh, different bulk blends just to try and, you know, try everything and kind of see what my place was uh, and where my palate wanted to go. And uh, pretty much consistently, um, two or three bowls a week. And, and now that I'm in my own home and um, 
and I don't have to worry about school. I go to work, I'm home. I, I probably have a bowl every other day or so and, you know, a couple bowls on the weekends. Did you find yourself tobacco-wise getting excited over one style and then trying a whole bunch of tobaccos in that style and then switching back and forth? Absolutely. Um, I kind of found myself getting away from, from aromatics um, fairly quickly. Uh, they made everybody else happy because, you know, they smell good, but the, the taste really wasn't there for me. So I uh, found some McClellan Virginias that I really latched on to and uh, love their Christmas cheer and their Dark Star and uh, pretty much went the Virginia route for the first five years or so. I was pretty much straight Virginia just made me happy. Um, and then, you know, every once in a while I try an English blend or something and a lot of Kia just didn't, didn't really do it for me. Um, but about five years of straight Virginia, my palate just decided it wanted to change, and I went full force headlong into English and Balkans. Um, Balkans specifically, the Orientals and Balkans, are, it adds this kind of dance on the palate as you get through a bowl um, that pretty much for the last uh, eight or nine years, um, I've been full speed on Balkan blends with with a, a straight Virginia, um, you know, twice a week where everything else is, is pretty much Balkan. And what, what about pipe wise? Did you get, uh, yeah, did, did you try a whole bunch of different ones? Did you get all fascinated with one shape and wanted to buy a whole bunch of those or? <laughs> well, I was, uh, I stayed away from straight pipes, um, just because I thought they, I like to clench, and they didn't hang in the mouth as nice as even a quarter bent did. But when I first started, um, I did a lot of factory pipes. Um, I think for the first eight years or so, I would get everything I could get my hands on as far as what I could afford. But um, I really kind of latched on to Stanwell and Savinelli. Um, no particular shape, really. Just, you know, whatever I thought looked good was what I wanted. And then uh, I started a pipe club. Um, and I ran that for about three years and a guy named, uh, Dave Peterson, he's a Costello collector, got a great Epica yeah. collection, um, attended and became one of the members. And he kind of opened my eyes to, um, the rest of the pipe world. Like, you know, he encouraged me to go to my first Chicago show and <laughs> which was a, a huge step for me, um, just to get out of the house, um, with my, uh, severe OCD, it, it gets kind of difficult for me to do things that are social. So uh, when I got to my first Chicago show, that's when the I, I made a big note on, on the really, um, I guess, artist in pipes or higher grade pipes, basically the handmade stuff. And, you know, I had owned Barlings and Dunhill and Costello and, and everything. Granted, Costello is handmade, but you know, you still consider it's not somebody, one person from start to finish putting their entire craftsmanship into that pipe. And I kind of latched on to uh, Rad Davis. Um, I had been collecting Stephen Downey's work. Um, I was trying to amass a seven-day set. Uh, he's from Canada. So does uh, a lot of crazy creature pipes. And uh, <laughs> so I got my seven-day set from him, uh, amassed it. And I really latched on to Rad Davis. And right now I think I own 13 Rads. Um, <laughs> and I would 
I would continue to collect rad, um, except for he, he retired. And, um, yeah. that's kind of, that's kinda the, the end of my real true, uh, collecting. Although I'm, I'll always be a, a collector at heart and in first and foremost, I mean, I just bought three or four pipes. Don't tell my wife, you know, yeah. two weeks ago, but, um, the focus of my collection is kind of now expanded because he's retired. Yeah. Don't worry. Wives don't listen to this show. And if they do, they know that each pipe only costs $20. Oh, I have a great wife and, uh, she has bought me, she has commissioned pipes for me. So she's, uh, she can see through that lie pretty quickly and she probably will listen <laughs> to this show just because she loves me that much. <laughs> well, in that case, hold on to her. Cause you'll lose half your pipe collection. <laughs> oh, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, so what, what made you want to, uh, what made you want to make a pipe? Um, well, when Rad retired, I started uh, collecting a guy named David McCarter, who was an up and comer. Mm -hmm. And shortly after, shortly after I got a few of his pipes, um, he decided to quit. So, <laughs> I guess part of my, my OCD was, you know, I was trying to latch on to something that was the same that I could actually collect um, in a mass, like, you know, the same maker. It was just, I want to I find a maker I like and just keep going. And when uh, David McCarter quit, I was just like, you know what, why don't I try making pipes myself? And, uh, you know, I kind of knew, I knew what a pipe should be, you know, I've, I've been smoking long enough and collecting long enough that, you know, I know what a good pipe should be. Um, but I had absolutely no clue on even how to start. So, um, went to pipe makers forum, did a little internet search and that got me started. Uh, started with a, took a washing machine motor and I uh, hooked the sanding disc to it and bought some rasps and hand files and, um, started making my first pipe. Um, I think all of my supplies I bought at the Chicago show two years ago um, from uh, Steve North of Vermont Freehand. Yeah. And uh, basically, it's been trial and error ever since. Um, I've never, I never started with a pre-made kit. Uh, I've always done the, uh, I had a, a drill press I, I got from my dad. So I drilled the block um, on the drill press and then shaped it on the wheel drilled the stem, I held it in a vise with my hand on the drill press, and then uh, the rest of it, you know, I just trial and errored it on my sanding wheel and with some hand files. And I'm guessing that first pipe was probably not the most beautiful one you've ever made. Uh, no, it was pretty square. The button was terrible. It was, it was, my dad owns it. I, I, I gave it to him. I gifted him my very first pipe. Um, and I look back at it and, you know, I've seen how far I've come, and it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm headed in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more pipe making, and uh, in particular, Chicago's only a couple weeks away, so we'll talk about that. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Adam of Carmet Pipes. And uh, real quick, tell everybody how you came up with the name for for your pipe brand. Uh, Carmet Pipes is a combination of uh, my daughter's names. Uh, my oldest is Lynette, and my youngest is Carmen. So I put them together and got Carmet. <laughs> and uh, now uh, my wife... My wife is pregnant. She's due in, in September, and we're having a little boy, and uh, his name is going to be Duke. So now I got to figure out how to incorporate Duke in my uh, my whole pipe making thing so that he doesn't feel left out. <laughs> so that's what's going to come. So, something's coming with Duke in it. You, you've got a few months to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so I always like to ask pipe makers what was what was the one of the hardest things for you to get a handle on when you were getting started making pipes? I think the hardest thing, uh, you know, I didn't have any machining, woodworking background at all, so it was kind of this blind thing of getting into it, and um, you do all this research, and in my case, you know, I knew I knew what a good smoking pipe was, I knew what I needed to do, but making that happen in the workshop is a complete miles away from where you are when you first start. I mean, it's still miles away, and I've been doing this for two years, and uh, it's pretty been pretty constant. Uh, for example, the stem work, um, shaping a button and slotting it and creating a bit that's four millimeters thick in the profile that you want and doing it consistently, you cannot do that overnight. There is no magic tool that you can buy that just does that for you. You need to make the the motor skills in your hands. You need the muscle memory to be able to consistently do that. And that comes with time. So the biggest struggle for me, um, and, and it still is, is, you know, I'll grab one of my rats or one of my Stephen Downies off my rack and I'll look at it and I go, this is what I want to do. You know, I, I look at the profile and I go, this is what I want. And I have no idea how to get there. Um, I'll do the best I can, and then it's just practice. Um, and I think, for me, I can see my progress getting there slowly, and it's, obviously it doesn't happen overnight, but um, that's the biggest struggle is just trying to teach yourself these things. And there's no tried and true, hey, this is the quickest, easiest way to do this. 
Um, I'm sure there's some tricks of the trade that um, some of the full-time guys know, um, but I, I haven't apprenticed with anybody. Um, getting to somebody's workshop is, is difficult. Um, Jeremiah Sandall is a fellow Minnesotan that uh, makes pipes, and uh, he's invited me and my whole family to come see him in his workshop. But uh, with my OCD, it's, it hasn't happened, and I'm not sure it ever will. Um, as much as I would love to go and, and actually see how somebody else actually does it in person, um, just to watch. Um, but until I can get over that hump and actually go out and do that, uh, right now it's basically just trying to take the tools that I have in my hands and just continue to learn and fine-tune and, and keep going until... You know, I can look at a stem that I made and a stem that's in my rack and say, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh, for me, I don't know how far I am from that. Um, I, I, don't, I think it's an ever-ending journey. You know, I, if, if you're not trying to improve with every pipe or learn, um, I think it's, it's kind of a boring process at that point. So um, it's, it's really it's good therapy for my OCD to, to make pipes. Um, it makes me focus. I lose track of time. It's it's completely mindful. It's, it's me in that pipe. I'm doing it with my hands uh, from from a raw block in a, a rod stock of, of um, ebonite or acrylic. And to see the final piece and to know that it's going to go somewhere and be somebody's friend um, because pipes are ultimately friends. That's really fulfilling for me. Um and pretty much the reason I do it, but I, I kind of got off track there, but I guess the hardest part of it is knowing what I want to do and being able to actually do it. And it only comes with time and practice. Yeah. And it, that is, there's, there's no magic button you can press that'll just, you know, do it for you. It's complete hard work and practice in sore hands. Um, probably three out of, out of, three or four days out of the week, um, my grip strength is bad because I've been hand filing so much and shaping uh, a stumble with, with hand files and you just your hand just gets so sore. And then you're like a football player after working all day, you go ice yourself and get up and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I haven't uh, haven't gotten the buckets of ice out yet, but uh, <laughs> some days, you know, it, it probably would be a wise thing. It, you're, the style of pipes that I've seen that you've made seems to be in kind of the traditional American, uh, the American Danish variation. Is there a, I mean, is there a shape of a pipe that you like or a style, or do you just kind of read each block and go? Um, I do a lot of commission work. Um, I kind of have a, I don't want to call it a cult following, but I have some repeat customers that have been very supportive of me. And so they do, they like, most of them like more traditional stuff. Um, I'm doing a, an eight set of uh, chubby authors coming up here after Chicago. And uh, that's probably my favorite shape to make right now. Um, personally, the Danish style, um, like tomatoes and eggs and scoops, I've always loved those and anything that's kind of got that Danish flair where the, the stem, um, um, the shank to bowl junction is 
uh, narrower and it flares out towards the stem. Yeah. Um, I really, really like that line. Um, it it kind of gives a, a to me it gives more of a forward move movement to the pipe. Um, so the Danish Danish inspired is really kind of my my comfort um, in what I know for pipes because most of the pipes in my collection are Danish inspired. Now let's turn to Chicago because it's two weeks away, two and a half weeks. Um, your your impression of it going as a pipe smoker and pipe collector, I mean, what did you think when you first walked in? Um, my very first show was, uh, was it 2012, I think. Um, and, I mean, I was on pipe sensory overload. Um, I was, I was looking for a, a, a pipe. Um, obviously I, I ended up getting a Rad Davis and, um, but up until that point, it wasn't until Sunday, I got there, uh, Friday, uh, we went and looked around the, the pipe swap and sell, which I thought was in the tent, which I thought, uh, I went with my dad and it was, that was overloading itself. You know, that was bigger <laughs> than than half the conventions I've ever been to locally on anything, you know? Yeah. And, and then I remember, uh, I was hyped, you know, I, I, I collect lots of vintage tobacco. I have, you know, my, my cellar is very deep. And so even in the tent, I was finding these little tins of vintage tobacco from like the nineties, you know, just stuff you can't really get on the internet unless you're, you're going to spend a lot of money and you know these guys had them out and they're 10 20 dollars a 10 and i'm like well that's uh <laughs> you just shut up and take my money you know like that's mine that's mine and you know i got this <laughs> go back to the hotel room friday night and i got this tower of tobacco out on the counter and i'm like well it's been a great show you know and, and it was only friday <laughs> and we went to the we went to the, the welcome dinner and that was phenomenal and my dad and i were just like Hey, I mean, we'd be happy if we went home today. I mean, we're we're great. That was awesome. And then Saturday morning rolls around, and uh, you you start lining up, and you don't actually get to see much of anything because they like to keep the door shut and their security and whatever else. So you pay for your ticket, and they give it to you, and you walk in. And the thing is, it, they call it a mega center for a reason, right? I mean, it's. It's absolutely huge. And you look to the left, and there's these glass display cases. And you look to the right, and there's more glass display cases. And there's these world-class collections that they have on display. It's, it's kind of like an instructional, kind of uh, more like educational displays where people can learn about certain things. And right there, it's like you just want to stop and look at that and absorb it all. So I stopped and take the, took a bunch of pictures, you know, and I'm I'm already on overload just absorbing all of this, this world-class collections that I'll never see again in my lifetime. And then, I haven't even walked into the show. Yeah. You come in, you go down the hallway a little bit or, or the entrance a little bit, and there's this big, you know, the big Nording uh, pipe with all the stumbles and the stems put together that look like this huge, massive pipe. So you got to stop and take a picture there. <laughs> and I mean, you're you're happy as a kid on Christmas, opening all this presents, and and you haven't even started yet. So then you start snaking around the tables, and there's hundreds of vendors, and 
you know, you're, I, I read about a lot of these guys in Pipes and Tobacco's magazine for the last decade or something, you know, and here they are standing right in front of a table in front of pipes that you can pick up and look at and sell. And, of course, with my OCD, I can't strike a conversation up with any of them because uh, my anxiety is too high. So I just walk by and I'm silently admiring all of this stuff. Like, you know, I just met this celebrity and I go over to the next table and there's another one and the next table and there's another one. It's like, these are all the guys I've been reading about for the last 10 years and here they are. Like, this is crazy. And after that, it was like I went to the hotel room at the end and I laid there and I was just mentally done. I was so done. I didn't, I couldn't remember what pipes I saw, what pipes that, you know, I wanted to come back to on Sunday to see if they were still at the table. I couldn't remember anything. So I should have brought a notebook and wrote everything down, you know, here, table, whatever, because the tables are numbered and what pipe and the price it was. So that on Sunday, I could have went back around and, and, and looked and made sure that, hey, this is the pipe I wanted. It's still there. It's not. And, you know, Sundays, the, the vendors are a little bit more willing to kind of wheel and deal because it's the last day of the show. Um, but it's, it's absolutely insane. It's just crazy. And it's like as soon as the show ended, when we were driving on the way back home, like I couldn't wait to do it again the next year. <laughs> and and I got to tell you that's almost that's that's pretty much the uh, the normal reaction from somebody that's not dealing with any kind of OCDs too for their their first time at the Chicago Pipe Show. Um it's, I would I would recommend anybody to go. It is it is and and you'll never meet that the nice the nicer group of of people. Um Vendors and collectors and everybody, for the most part, in the in the pipe smoking community, they are a group of individuals that you will not find anywhere else in the world. Now, how does that compare to now you're making pipes? Uh, how are you preparing or how have you been preparing now for the Chicago Pipe Show? Uh, it's quite a bit different. Um, going as somebody who's um, going to be selling items than it was going as just somebody that was um, collecting. Um, it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say it's a catch-22, but like part of, part of the collecting has to die when you go to the show now because you can't really go out and just enjoy everything that's out on the tables. I mean, you, you can do that a little bit. You can kind of wander from your own table and, and go out and see what people have to offer and then come back to your table. But for the most part, you need to stay and man your table and, and, you know, be there for, for the, your, your customers. Um, but even working up to the show, um, I used to make a list of, you know, what I needed. If there were, I was collecting the, the NASPEC Lord of the Rings um, series for a while. And, you know, I, there's some, some tins in there that I don't have. So I'd have a list of that. And I'd have a list of books that I wanted um, to make sure that if I saw them at the show, I could pick them up. Uh, but now it's the, for the three months before the show, all I care about is making pipes for the yeah. show. Like I put everything else on hold. You ask my wife if she needs me to go mow the lawn. 
uh, it's probably going to be three weeks. I'll get the lawn mowed, but you know, I'm probably going to make pipes first. And, uh, so, so there's a lot of sacrifice in that, in that regard, but at the same time, it's, I mean, it's just as much as the excitement for the show. It's just, it's different, you know? Uh, and obviously there's a little bit more pressure, um, just because you want to have enough pipes on the table ready, but at the same time I struggle because I don't want to just have pipes on the table. You know, I want to actually do the best that I can in each pipe so that it's not, Oh yeah, I have 30 pipes on my table, but they're all pretty much subpar from where my ability is at the current moment. Um, so there's going to be a real push because Chicago's coming up in what, a week and a half. Yeah. And, um, I have one, two, three, four, five. I have seven more pipes I'm trying to get done and I'll probably only get three of them actually complete. Um, I think I have 10 in my case right now. So, um, just because I don't like rushing through because I think the quality suffers some. So, um, it'll be stressful until I get there on Friday with my dad. And then I just kind of breathe a sigh of relief and, um, <laughs> enjoy the, the, the tent and meeting all my, my, uh, friends from, uh, the previous shows and then set up on Saturday morning. So, and because you can't, you, you can't really increase production. You're actually trying to also service your regular customers at the same time as putting inventory aside for the Chicago pipe show? Yeah. So I've, I've worked some things in between, but for the most part, um, because the majority of my work, probably, probably all of my work right now up until Chicago is on commission. Um, I very rarely in the last two years, I make about 40 pipes a year. Um, there has been very, very few in the last year that, went up on Facebook for sale um, that hadn't already been um, ordered by somebody. Um, so basically I tell my customers that, hey, you know, between um, March through the first week of May, uh, I'm probably not going to work on any of your pipes. So it'll be after May when I'll get to them just so I can really focus on the, the run to Chicago basically. Cause that's the only show that I go to. And with only making 40 pipes a year, if I got 10 pipes to show, uh, you know, that's a quarter of my year's work right there. Yeah. Uh, where do your prices start out for your pipes? Um, currently between 125 and, uh, everything's under 200 bucks. So, um, I'll make you a custom pipe, whatever you want for 200 bucks or less at the current moment. Um, but at the same time, you got to realize I'm doing this as a hobby. Um, I have a full-time job. I have a family and kids. Um, so I basically work on a pipe when I, when I can. So, um, I think what, what some people need to realize is that, uh, while, yeah, I might be able to make a, a decent smoking pipe and a, and a friend of a pipe for you for less than $200, um, people should still look at um, people who are uh, pipe makers who are uh, higher priced than that, um, especially ones that are doing it full time, you know, to pay their bills. Um, because I'm as humble as it gets in, in the, the pipe collecting community, the pipe makers themselves 
are great guys. Um, but in the sea of, of this kind of, and, and I'm partially to blame, because uh, I am one, I'm a hobbyist pipe maker. There seems like there's new hobbyist pipe makers coming out in in droves. I mean, <laughs> you just look at how many people our smoking pipes has on their, their website. I remember even, what, five, six, seven years ago, uh, you could get through that list without scrolling down in your computer window. You can't anymore. Yeah. Um, so in this giant sea of pipe makers, uh, always remember that that there are people in the in the business that make handmade pipes that are doing it full time to pay their bills and feed their families. Well, you're you're kind, but I'll also tell people that if they want to see your pipes. It's uh, Carmet, C-A-R-M-E-T-T-E, Pipes on Facebook. Um, I found a couple on AmericanPipeMakers.com. And, um, yes, sir. I'm kind of in a different boat this year where I won't really be anchored down to a table for too much, so I'm definitely going to come over and uh, poke my nose at your pipes and stick my finger in a couple of your bowls, if you don't mind. Um, I'm all fine with that. Uh, <laughs> my bowls come... My bowls come uncoated, which is a subject for uh, some other time because that could be a whole new episode in and of itself. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, stop by. Um, I don't know what my table will be yet, but normally it's kind of close to where the little uh, the eating area is in the Mega Center. Um, and you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, otherwise, you can just reach me by email, which is um, adam.sheehan at gmail.com and that is A D A M dot S H three three the numbers H A N at gmail dot com, and uh, I'd love to hear from anybody. And I hate to tell you this, but the show's gotten so big this year that they've pushed the little eating thing out into the uh, hallway where you guys were waiting to get in before, and now there's all tables inside the room. So, well, that's I mean that's good news because if we continue to grow. Um, the FDA might have some issues next year. Um, we'll see how that shakes out. But I think right now, uh, pipe smoking is booming. We are a niche market within a niche market. You know, we're tobacco users, which is already niche. And we're pipe smokers, which is another niche thing. Um, but if if things go the right way for us, uh, there's never been a better time to be a, a pipe smoker and collector. You can You can buy any pipe you want. You can get it made for you. You can find any blend you want. Um, you can blend it yourself if you want to play with that. Um, just the the amount of things that you can get that you couldn't get even 10 years ago uh, is, is I would have never dreamed when I started smoking a pipe that we'd be where we are today. Uh, it's just leaps and bounds. You can get anything you want. Uh, and I, I know that's... That's even in the internet age. You talked about the guys from the the old ephemeris that I read all the time. You know, they were they were, they relied on mailers and and uh, just pictures that came out and they got in the mail and, and phone calls with people to do this. Sometimes they buy pipes uh, sight unseen, you know, just from a a photo that was photocopied on a black and white printer at the gas station. Uh, so it, it we're still growing. We I, I just hope that you know with the whole uh, FDA overreach that uh, we can continue to thrive. And now you can even get an hour or two of uh, discussions on pipes and pipe tobacco in your uh, 
in your little ear thing uh, that plugs into your little thing that looks like it used to be a small TV, but it's actually a telephone. <laughs> yes, but, you know, Prince, Prince isn't dead as much as everybody likes to think. For a pipe smoker, there's something about opening up P&T Magazine or the NASPEC pipe collector, which I write for uh, every once in a while. And just having a physical piece of paper that's tangible that you can feel and enjoying a pipe. There's something about that is, I mean, if that ever goes away, I'm probably going to cry myself to sleep at night. No, it's called getting completely unplugged. Yeah. Adam, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answers, whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. All right. What is your favorite pipe? Um, my favorite pipe is the first Rad Davis Hickory Knot I bought in Chicago. And my favorite smoking pipe that I own, because there's two different things, there's a collecting pipe and there's a smoking pipe, um, is this ugly Levat chimney pipe that I made myself. It's pipe number 12. It's got an offset um, draft hole. It should smoke like... You know, junk. It should smoke like a locomotive freight train. But <laughs> the thing I can put, I can put anything in that thing, and it smokes well. And it is literally the ugliest pipe that I own. <laughs> and what's your uh, favorite tobacco to put in that ugly pipe? Um, this should be no surprise um, if you've read my Holy Grail article. But uh, it's McClellan's Balkan Beauty. Uh, it took me ten years to find something in. That was it at the Chicago Bowl. I found it, and they weren't gonna. Uh, Mike and Mary weren't gonna release it, so I bought some a bunch of tins from them um, through my local B and M, and then uh, I wrote the article, and they decided they were gonna actually release it. So everybody <laughs> go out and buy a tin of McClellan's Balkan Beauty, and tell me if I'm crazy or not. What's your favorite drink? Uh, right now, I drink uh, some espresso roast iced coffee that I make in my, my Keurig machine with some stevia sweetener. Um, I don't drink alcohol, so uh, I'm kind of boring that way. I like the idea of a cold espresso. Okay. Um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, lately, it's pretty much Frank Sinatra on Pandora in my headphones or in my, my earmuffs when I'm making my pipes, which is what I'm really doing to relax. Um, <laughs> you, you would think that working on pipes wouldn't be that relaxing, but it really is therapy for me. But uh, when I'm there just to enjoy a pipe, um, it's a book. Um, be it the Pipe Collector or a magazine from uh, Pipes and Tobaccos, or uh, the next book on my list is actually uh, My Lady Nicotine by J.M. Barry. Yeah. Um, so... That book is, is preferable when I'm not making pipes. And the last question is, do you have a favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? Uh, my favorite pipe-smoking-related memory is probably just uh, being able to go to the Chicago show with my father. Um, yeah. If if he didn't go with me, I wouldn't be able to go because I can't drive by myself. Um, so him going and then just being there with my dad to make all these these fun memories and to you know i actually got him into pipe smoking normally it's the other way around yeah. um, but i actually i dragged him in the pipe smoking and um being able to actually share all of this with him is is pretty much the end all be all of it for me 
Adam, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll see you in a couple of days. Yes, thank you very much for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and uh, you know what? I've got so many other questions that I'd like to ask Adam. I think I think maybe we'll have him back on. Uh, maybe I'll ask him to give us a little uh, trip report, too, for the Chicago Pipe Show. All right, for music, um, bear with me on this one, because even I'm kind of a little weirded out by it. But in... Uh, in Japan, last last fall, was introduced a, an, an album called Metal Disney was introduced, and it's all put on by a, it's by a band called the D Metal Stars, and they've worked with other uh, you know with other heavy metal groups, and I mean some of them have backgrounds that go back to even some of the uh, some of the rock groups of the eighties that, that I liked, but. They so they did they did speed metal or what I'd call speed metal versions or heavy metal versions of classic Disney songs. So I finally got a chance to get "It's a Small World," written by the Sherman Brothers, both of whom smoked pipes, and uh, both of whom shopped at the uh, Kramer's Tobacco Shop in Beverly Hills. Um, I finally got a chance to get "It's a Small World" on here, and this is by. Um, the uh, D Metal Stars, and again, the album is called Metal Disney, and um, listen to it, and then I'll tell you what I think afterwards. Oh, my God. 
Well, what'd you think? Um, so my initial thoughts are, I wish I could play guitar like that. I probably wouldn't play that fast that often, but I wish I could. And um, there's no way in the world I wish I could sing like that, because that sounds painful. Um, but anyway, the uh, the I guess my main issue with the album is that all the songs sound a lot alike to me. But uh, check it out. <laughs> Again, it's uh, something different. You've got some mail. In the mailbag, only one comment from last week, and it comes from the one and only Casey Ghost. And Dan writes... Good show. The pipe part segment was a good explanation of what you want to take to a pipe show. It is amazing that I always forget something when I go there. Probably no surprise that I forget something when I go other places. <laughs> I would have sworn that Nathan was on your show before. Oh well, he was a good guest and quite enjoyable. I have a beard, but I have to keep mine trimmed as it grows wild and bushy when I don't. Uh, who is the girl woman in the picture with him? Uh, the, the only rights the PC crowd believes in is their own. Uh, the answer to her, who is the girl woman in the picture? Well, Nathan claims that's his wife. I think it might be his oldest daughter, but Nathan claims it's his wife. Um, <clears throat> I think I also failed to mention that in the, uh, in the, in the preparations for going to a show, I get a list of some of the pipe tobaccos that I've been wanting to try. Uh, get a list of, you know, especially some of the classic blends. I'm still looking for some old uh, Made in England McConnell's Red Virginia. Uh, yeah, so that's something else that I just get lined up. All right, JDRF Auctions. Uh, so, uh, just recently, in fact, yesterday... Uh, Mike Zika donated 12 tins of some Dunhill Standard Mixture, and uh, it's fairly current production. Sold quickly. Thank you very much, Mike. So that sold. On uh, pipestud.com still is a listing that includes a tin of Old Shenandoah, a tin of uh, Solani Blend 127, Stokeby 4th Generation, Drew Estate Meat Pie, Stanwell Fruit and Vanilla, and a tin of Viking William the Conqueror. These tins are averaged about three to four years old. Those are still available for $65, and 100% of that goes directly to the JDRF to find a cure for uh, type 1 diabetes. Um, also, coming up this Saturday, coming up this Saturday on uh, Steve's eBay store, the Pipe Stud eBay store, we had a, a bit of an oopsie with the uh, with the Tom Richard pipe, so that pipe will be listed again and going up for auction. And uh, sure would like to see everybody bid it up and bid it up as high as possible. Uh, somebody got a steal of a deal last week on that Brebbia Noche brand new uh, brand new pipe. It ended for uh, seventy three dollars. So. Uh, it's still also not too late to do a direct cash donation directly to the page, 100% tax deductible, so uh, we'd appreciate that. Trying to get to that $1,500 level, and uh, looks like we're going to make it, but we need some help getting over the top. All right, just a minute, rant time. Boy. 
Can we talk about summer fashions for just a minute, please? Let's flash back 30 years ago when I was in college and the shorts for summertime, the shorts were kind of short and the the look was normal uh, socks, tube top, tube length, you know, whatever, socks. So you had high socks and high and short shorts. Now you go out short shopping and all the shorts cover all the way down to your knees but you gotta wear those little itty bitty socks that just kinda hide in your shoe. So we've lowered the shorts length down to our knees and dropped the socks all the way down to the bottom of our feet. 30 years ago, socks all the way up to your knees, shorts that barely came down to, you know, to cover up the, uh, you know, you know. Um, anyway, you know, it, seems like the, uh, it seems like the amount of skin being shown is the same amount, it just depends exactly on the elevation. The pants, the pants keep getting longer and longer. Eh, drop the socks lower and lower. You start raising the socks, you gotta pull the pants back up. Now these long shorts, I can't stand them because they hit the back of my knees and irritate that. You know, just irritate me. So I have to go look around for what people call short shorts. And they really just barely cover your knees. Made me wonder, you know, does fashion ever change in pipes? You know, do, do we ever get to the point where... Uh, Everybody needs to have really big, big pipes, and then everybody has to have really small, small pipes? No. No, there's a good mix of pipes available all the time. Well, in the fashion business, apparently, your shorts have to cover your knees, and the socks can't cover up your ankles right now. If you want to cover your ankles and wear shorts that don't rub on the back of your knees, you're screwed. Forget it. You know, that's it. All right, I want to thank Adam for joining me. Uh, please make sure and share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends, family, enemies, enemas. Um, please make sure and uh, post any comments on uh, PipesMagazine.com or email them directly to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. And leave, feeding, uh, leave uh, ratings and reviews and feedback wherever you can. So... Once again, thank you to Adam for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Bring us some fresh wine. No more of this old stuff.